You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Back of the room if they're going to one of the classes. And we're going to continue in our series working through the book of Genesis. And we're going to be starting in chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 10. So uh, just a couple of things real quickly. Uh, Normal stuff happening this week. Uh, As far as youth, meeting Wednesday, those kinds of things. Uh, The the only unusual thing is uh, today, uh, right after the service, we have a a fellowship meal together, some time to just eat together, enjoy each other, and, uh, and praise God through eating some good food. Uh, which hopefully some of y'all brought, because I know I didn't bring anything, and we're going to have to make a KFC run if that's the case. All right. But uh, we'll just fellowship together and have a good time. Everybody's welcome. Even if you didn't bring anything, that's fine. You can stay and just hang out, and, uh, and we'll just be friends in the Lord. Uh, I did want to tell y'all that in a couple of weeks, uh, May 21st, uh, that's two Sundays from now, we're having what we're calling a Global Mission Sunday. And um, many of you, if not all of you, know Matt Akers, and he is uh, an elder in training with us, uh, and just a really faithful brother, and and has a particular heart for the nations, and has actually lived in East Asia, uh, met his wife, Yoshi, there, and they are here now, uh, but they have no less of a heart for the nations and for the Lord to be glorified among every people. And so he oversees all of our mission, global mission effort, uh, international things, and not just things that are happening overseas, but international people who live here locally. Uh, he oversees the effort to connect with them, build relationships, and, and form discipleship relationships in particular uh, so that we can see people from every nation uh, and every people group come to know Jesus, you'll notice, it's okay to turn around, uh, there, if you haven't noticed it, there's a big map of the world on the back there, and you can see different uh, church planters and missionaries that we support, have relationships with, uh, they're really important for us, and would encourage you to just know about them, and pray for them, uh, even connect with them, and give towards them uh, financially, if that's something the Lord puts on your heart. Uh, so Global Mission Sunday is going to happen May 21st. Matt will be helping to lead that, and we'll just bring uh, some of what the Lord is saying through his word about the nations and, uh, and how we can be a part of him reaching the nations, and then also uh, some particular things that the Lord is already doing here we want to be able to connect you to. So that's happening May 21st. Here's the interesting part about it. Uh, May 21st is when the Brantners are scheduled to be back in town from China where they're adopting their son. In fact, I think today they're actually meeting him for the first time. Uh, So it's a big day for them, for their family, but for the kingdom. uh, Someone who is living in a largely unreached uh, nation in the world is being adopted by a Christian family. And uh, it always, man, it really moves my heart. Uh, our son Hudson, who's now about to look at me horrified, there he goes, <laughs> he, he prays uh, almost every night, uh, and any time he prays at dinner, he, it's always been particularly on his heart to pray for orphans uh, all over the world. Um, that the Lord would give them believing families. And it was so cool uh, a week ago to be able to tell them that Matt and Carla were on a plane to go and get their boy. He was happy. So, um, Also, May 21st, that night, uh, I'll be flying to United Arab Emirates to uh, connect with some church planters who are around uh, UAE and see what the Lord's doing to be able to bring a report back for Acts 29 and to be able to further connect churches in our area with the work that the Lord's doing there. Also, um, we'll be really blessed to be part of an assessment for a couple of church planters who are planting in the Middle East, uh, who are mostly isolated. Their churches are very persecuted, and they 
feel led by the Lord to be a part of the Acts 29 network, which is the church planning network that our church is a part of. And so uh, the Lord just providentially worked it out and even paid for it for me to be able to go uh, and be a part of that work. And so I'll be uh, flying out May 21st and then uh, I'm going to miss one Sunday. I won't be with you, but then uh, I'll be back. Um, uh, I'll be there for about 10 days and then I'll be back. So pray for my family too, if you would, during that time. All right. So it's just interesting that the Lord worked out that May 21st date for our global missions thing. And we got people coming in and we got people going out and just a lot of cool things happening uh, among the nations. So uh, just remember that and be here if you would. All right. So here we go in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse 10. And uh, we're going to read all the way through uh, chapter 12, verse 9. So here we go. Just as we always do, I'll read it out loud, and if you would follow along, and then we'll just stop everything and ask the Lord for some help. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood, And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. If you were here last week, you might remember that Eber uh, is connected to the word Hebrew in the Hebrew language. And that's where they actually get that identity as Hebrew people is from Eber. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray.
Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Of course, we, we agree with Ben's prayer, Lord, that you would move, that you would move through your word, that you would put us to the side, that you would speak to us directly. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's powerful, that it's decisive, that it's true. Thank you that it cuts to the heart. Lord, would you please put in us a heart that's open to you, that's submissive to you. Put in us this morning, Lord, a desire for your truth, not a resistance to truth that hurts our feelings or calls us to rearrange our lives, but, Lord, a submissiveness, an eagerness for the truth. We need you. We confess that. I need you. Lord, we're at your mercy. Please teach us. Change us. Make us more like Jesus in our character, in our walk, in our desires. Help us, Lord, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, I want to remind you that everything you're reading here was written by the hand of Moses. And uh, uh, as Moses was there in the, the desert wandering with God's people, with Israel, uh, the Lord was speaking to him and directing him by his spirit to write these words, write this history of the beginning of everything. And those first fathers and those, those people, faithful people, that the Lord was using, uh, and then even stories of unfaithful people and how the Lord disciplined them or how the Lord judged them or even how the Lord destroyed them or distracted them or confused them as we see when they were building the Tower of Babel. So as Moses is writing these words, he's turning our attention again to a particular family and I don't know if you've noticed this theme happening, but the Lord keeps on turning our attention to particular families. Of course, in the very beginning, there was just the one family. So if he talked about anybody, he was talking about Adam and Eve, and he talked about their children, Cain and Abel. And then when Abel was murdered and Seth was born to replace Abel as a faithful son who had a heart for God, uh, we continue to see this family. But then as generations went by and the earth uh, the humanity in the earth deteriorated morally and the whole earth was filled with violence and with sinfulness, we see the Lord setting apart again one family and drawing our attention to this family, Noah and his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now we have this lineage given again and it goes all the way down uh, from Shem to Terah and Terah's sons. And here again, the Lord is drawing our attention to this particular family. The earth now is, is populated, at least in the region of the Middle East, possibly North Africa, and, and moving towards what we know as Asia, but not that far now. This, the, the, the earth's population is mostly centralized around the Middle East, North Africa, the Eastern Mediterranean but it's pretty populated and it's been dispersed now because you remember people were trying to all gather together in one city and build a tower, a monument to their greatness and make a name for themselves, but the Lord discouraged them from that work and they left it off and were dispersed, speaking different languages. And here we have records, genealogies of where these different families, uh, sorry, before this, we have records of where they went, where they settled and all their different languages. And here we have this direct line telling us how we end up with a guy named Abram in God's story. So this is intentional, the Lord bringing our attention here. Terah had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran, the youngest of the three brothers, died in Ur before the rest of the story unfolded, before his father, Terah, decided to move the family outside of Ur. And they wanted to go to Canaan, uh, but that plan didn't work out. Of course, it was providential. It was God's plan that that plan not work out. And they ended up back in a place called Haran. Don't confuse the place Haran with the person Haran. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's a totally different thing. It's just the way we translate it comes out the same. 
So it's important to remember that Heron died to know that he's no longer part of the story, but just as important is to take note of this reference to Ur of the Chaldeans. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, if you understood that that's where Abram and his family came from, but it's very important for us to know that they came from this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. You notice it's just kind of thrown into the text. Uh, It's almost seems like a side note there in verse 28. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah. Okay, that's kind of the point to let us know Haran's not going to be there anymore. In the land of his kindred, the Ur of the Chaldeans. So there's a dual dual purpose to verse 28 here. It wants us to know about Haran dying. Also wants to know that this family was rooted in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. This is where his kindred was, the land of his kindred. That is not unimportant, and I'm going to try to explain why that's not unimportant to us uh, by letting you know some history about Ur, and if you're a nerd, you'll enjoy this. If not, I hope the Lord just uses it anyway. Ur was a really major city uh, in the ancient world, and we're talking about thousands of years even before Jesus was walking the earth. So this is like super ancient Bronze Age kind of stuff. Uh, There's not a whole lot of history outside of some very major cultures that that they can still dig dig up in in archaeological digs and things that can find some things. Well, they found Ur. They actually found Ur buried under the sand in the Middle East in what we know is modern-day Iraq in the south part of Iraq, about 186 miles south of Baghdad, they found the ancient ruins of Ur of the Chaldeans, and they even found the foundations of the temple there that was built in the center of the city. So they know for sure this is where Abram was born, where Abram grew up, where this family was settled. This was the city of his kindred. In Ur... Right in the, in the uh, northwestern part of the city, but pretty central, there's a building there that I, I just referenced. You can see the foundations of it in the center of the city. And since then, even Saddam Hussein, maybe the one cool thing he ever did, was fund the rebuilding of this building, this structure. It's called a zagarot. A zagarot in the ancient world in the Middle East was a pyramid kind of structure, but don't think Egyptian pyramid with like smooth sides. It had steps upward uh, from from all sides and is a massive structure, hundreds of feet long and wide, and it stood about 80 feet tall. And this was probably the kind of building that they were building in Babel, trying to build it as high as possible. Maybe they were trying to build the best zagarot ever. And this was a temple, primarily. This building was meant to uh, house all kinds of things. It was the city center. But at the very top of the temple was a structure where they would worship their pagan gods. And this zagarot in particular, in the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, was dedicated to the pagan moon god named Nana. And I know, Nana, I'm sorry. I know it has nothing to do with you. Don't feel bad. It was dedicated to the pagan moon god named Nana. Most biblical historians believe that, that, again, this is what the people in Babel were trying to build, was this massive structure built in honor of a false god. So, again, you can understand why God would discourage them, right? This obviously wasn't in keeping with God's plan for them. And this was what was happening in Ur at the time. And Ur was not just some flash-in-the-pan city in the ancient time. I mean, this city lived on for thousands of years. In fact, when Moses was writing this, I think it's, it's probably uh, a, a certain thing that people of Israel had at least heard of Ur of the Chaldeans because at that time, it would have still been a famous city, even if not as powerful a center for society as it used to be. Now, the scripture doesn't make any specific reference or statements about the religious beliefs of Terah and his family, but here's a common kind of assumption that we read into the text. Anytime we're talking about biblical figures, the more famous and the more faithful we remember them to be, the more assumptions we're loaded with about where they came from. 
someone like Abram growing up in a city like Ur, you cannot assume that Abram or Terah or their ancestors for generations prior to Abram worshipped the true and living God. You cannot assume that. It's not said here in the text. And to grow up in a city like Ur, where the whole city was dedicated as an epicenter of worship to the moon, it makes a lot of sense to believe that Abram and his family were most likely moon worshipers. They were pagans. So please get rid of any assumption that Abram is just this polished guy just waiting for the Christ you know, and just living out his time 2,000 years or so before Jesus came and he's just faithful. No, he was most likely a pagan, very sinful person seeking his own glory. It's hard to think that way because these genealogies just go, bang, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And in half of a page, you've gone from like a guy who was on the ark to a guy who is now going to be the father of Israel. And it's hard to think of them as being far from God. It's hard to think of them as being totally removed from God's righteousness, from his family. But you have to keep in mind, Abram was living in the pagan capital city of the Middle East. And this was the land of his kindred. This is where they lived. This is where their lives were planted. So don't see him as a righteous figure here yet. We're going to get there, but don't see him as that yet. I, I think it's an interesting note when we, when we actually examine the history, the genealogy, and we know, we know where they come from. I think it's really an interesting thing that the Lord used a pagan family from Iraq to establish for himself a family in the earth. Don't you just find that interesting? Doesn't that just totally confound modern day Christian thinking? Don't we see the Middle East and particularly uh, all of these Islamic nations like Iraq and Iran and Pakistan and Syria, don't we see them all as just being these like godless places that the Lord just, wow, if, if we could just be done with all this hatred of God, I mean, wouldn't it just be such a miracle if there was some shaft of light from Christ that came down. In fact, all of our, uh, our not all, but many of our, our mission efforts are focused on the Middle East to just try to see some semblance of the kingdom planted there. But that's where the kingdom in the world began. I, I just think it's so cool how the Lord does these things to just confound all of our perspective and teach us to open our minds up and see what it is he's doing. This is our gracious God, that someone like Abram, a moon worshiper, a pagan, far from God, living in a city known for its paganism, that this is who God would set apart for himself. We, I think, are so limited in our perspective and our expectation about who God saves, about who he's willing to work with, do you ever find yourself looking at a certain person and thinking, man, it would be just such a miracle if God was to save that person, if, if that person's life was to be used for God's glory, that would be such a miracle. And then you look at another person and you think like, I wonder if they know God. And it's based completely upon outward appearances. Do you ever find yourself doing that? I think if we're honest, we all do that all the time. There's certain people because of the way they look or the way they talk, we just think they're so far from God, so unlike us completely in our love for God. And we think it would just be such a crazy miracle if God was to save them and use them for his purposes in the world. Here's the thing, technically, all salvation is a profound miracle. Amen? For any person at all to come to know God is a miracle. In fact, it's the greatest miracle that God is working out in the world all the time, that lost people bent against God would suddenly become God's children and have a heart for God. That is the greatest miracle. But we fail to realize, and, and I'm, I'm saying this because 
the Lord points out in particular where Abram and his family came from, a city famous for its paganism. So nobody so far in ancient Israel wandering in the desert is going like, oh, let's see how far Moses has gotten writing down the history of the world. Ur of the Chaldeans? Ur. What's going to happen with this crazy messed up family, right? No, nobody back then reading this was already had it built into their minds that Abram was someone who loved God. So knowing that and adopting the mindset of God's saving set apart for himself, someone who's very, very far from God, who's not sitting in a situation real conducive to godliness or worship of the true and living God, here's the thing. We fail to realize that it's just as miraculous for God to save someone who grew up in a Christian home as it is for God to save someone like Abram. We just fail to really equate that miracle for any of us to know God. And and listen, some of you feel more like Abram, this pagan far from God, came to know God as an adult. It was a crazy story. Like, I don't know, maybe you've done time or maybe you killed somebody or something like, I don't know. You tend to think of yourself as like, whoa, I can't believe God saved me. But now you're raising your kids to believe and you're like, well, of course God's going to save them. And it doesn't feel like that big of a miracle. Uh, Listen, we're all pagan when we're born. We're all worshiping something other than God. We're all devoting our lives to something other than his glory, typically our own Glory, just the way Abram was. And, and this is just absolutely a miracle. So I'm not saying that to like shame you or embarrass you or make you think like I need to be nicer to people with face tattoos or something. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not getting you to try to like just look at a person that you wouldn't naturally think like, oh, there's a Christian and to convince you to think that they're a Christian. I'm not doing that. The reason I'm pointing this out is because the Lord specifically wanted Israel to know that it was a moon-worshipping man from Ur that they have to thank for receiving a call to follow him, to be faithful to him, to establish a family that would walk with him. They have a moon-worshipping pagan to thank for the beginnings of their faith family in the world. So if we allow ourselves to be confronted with this fact that God saves really sinful, unpolished, ungodly, unlovable people in order to pave the path for our own salvation, I think we'll be much more likely to view that neighbor, that coworker, that annoying family member, that frustrating friend as a potentially massive blessing to the world instead of someone to be avoided or disregarded. That's why I'm pointing it out. I think if we really recognize where Abram came from and the kind of man he was when God began to speak to him, then we'll be more likely to begin to speak to people who are in similar situations. Not people who look ready for the Lord, not people who seem to have a heart for God but don't know him yet, not people who are soft in their heart towards spiritual things, but even the person who hates God, like they are spiritual. They spiritually hate God. And that this person, we would be just as likely, just as open toward them to speak to them about God, to introduce them to the truth about God as we would the person who's like, tell me about God. I don't know him, but I want to. That we would see that God works in the realm of what we define as impossible. The people who are so far from God often are the ones that God particularly calls towards himself so that he can make a point, so that he can be really pointed in his expression to us about how little we have to do with our own salvation. We are all coming from a place very far from God. So now that we have a bit of history and a bit of understanding about who it is that God is calling, the family that he comes from, not righteous people, not people worshiping in spirit and truth, but people worshiping a pagan moon god on top of a tower in a pagan city, let's keep moving. Now we have chapter 12. So what I'm asking you to do is please 
forget that you've heard this a million times. Because I know that this is what happens. If, if you've been in church for like 10 minutes, you've heard of Father Abraham and it's a real cute story for Sunday school and all these things. And we've got little songs that we sing. Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, don't let me do it alone. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? We got some bold saints in here this morning. I don't need y'all. It's all real cute, right? It's all real familiar. Father Abraham. Is his name even Abraham yet? Is he the father of anybody? He's literally not the father of anybody yet. He has no children. His wife is barren. He's a pagan moon worshiper right now. So please forget everything else you know about him and just follow the text as Moses was following the Lord to record the history. Now the Lord said to Abram, what? Said to this guy living outside in the suburbs of the most pagan city in the Middle East, the Lord just suddenly said to him, there's no introduction here. We didn't ramp up to this. Now, Abram was a man set apart for the Lord's glory. And so the Lord said to him, none of that. No family history here. Nothing, nothing here that would tell you, I think the Lord's about to speak to Abram. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. Forget everything you already know. Listen to this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a wild thing to say to Abram. There are things God is telling Abram that no person is ready to hear. No one is ready to hear these things. In fact, Abram is just living his life out here in Haran with his family, raising flocks. They're, they're an agrarian, a ranching kind of culture and family just going about his business and God starts talking to him. And, and you can imagine, I, listen, this is what I don't want you to do. To put Abraham from a few chapters later into the text here and assume he has any idea what's going on, any idea who's talking to him, that he has any kind of familiarity with spiritual voices. I mean, the Bible doesn't say it, so I'm not going to preach it to you as if it's absolutely true, but this is how I have to imagine it going. It's more like this, that God speaks to him and, and Abram goes, Nana? Right? Grandma's over here. Ah, not you, Grandma. That he has no idea who's talking to him. But this is obviously God. This is God breaking into his life, interrupting his reality and saying things to him that no one is prepared to hear. In fact, there are 10 distinct things that God says in this very short statement. It's so packed, a mixture of commands and promises. And I'm going to pull out all 10 of those things for you so that you can see just how massive it is what God is saying to Abram. Number one, leave your country. Is that big enough for you? That the very first, God finally spoke to me. Guys, I heard from God. What did he say? He said, leave your country. It was the first thing out of his mouth to me. Leave your people. Leave your family. The fourth thing he says, I'm not telling you where you're going to end up. Just leave. The fifth thing, I will make a great nation from you. A man with no children and a barren wife. Number six, I will bless you. Number seven, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abram's name great? Why? Number eight, I will bless those who bless you. Number nine, I will curse those who dishonor you. 
Number 10, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How do you digest a statement like that from God? I, I mean, don't you have to imagine that Abram is looking like me? A great name, a great blessing, all the families of the earth will be blessed because of something you're going to do with me? I'm just over here trying to keep my sheep fed. I'm just missing Ur. This list starts with commands to drop everything and leave. In the middle, God promises to make him a great nation when, remember, he has a barren wife and no children, and it culminates with a promise to bless every family of the earth through him. Now, in order to understand this promise, particularly this, this last thing that God says to him, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, we need help to understand what God meant here because God isn't speaking about the family unit, the nuclear family unit, the way we think when we hear the word family. There's a, there's a better interpretation, and in order to get it, we need to get some help from the Apostle Paul because he was correct in his interpretation. And so turn to Galatians chapter 3 with me. You're going to turn like a thousand pages towards the back of your Bible to the New Testament, you're going to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Uh, you're going to see uh, Galatians come up at the beginning of this series of letters written by Paul and some other apostles to different churches. And this letter was written to the church in a city called Galatia. And to, to just kind of give some some pretext to what Paul is writing here, the believers in Galatia were struggling with wanting to find their righteousness and their favor with God through the law. They wanted to earn God's favor, just the way an Old Testament Jewish person would have to obey the law and thereby be called righteous. They were seeking to add this works-based righteousness to faith in Christ, which the two things don't work together, do they? You're either trusting Christ to be your righteousness or you're trusting yourself to be your righteousness. And Paul is teaching them about the foolishness of thinking that you can do both. So at the beginning of chapter 3, this is what he says. O oh, foolish Galatians. You have to be the Apostle Paul to be able to start a statement like that and still have hearers. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now you know why I'm in this text. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Did you hear that? Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you shall all the, what's the word there? Nations be blessed. Now, when we were back in Genesis, the word there was families. But you have to understand, Paul is interpreting this correctly to mean not nuclear family, as in Tahor and Abram and, and the other brothers, but families as in nations, as in people groups, as in language groups, people segregated out to be a people. That's what the Lord is referring to when he tells Abraham, Abram, that in him all the nations will be blessed. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is literally Paul interpreting this morning's passage for us. The Holy Spirit taught him this is about more than a guy named Abram being a blessing and starting a family that will be known as Israel. This is about all nations of the earth being blessed. And how are they blessed? They're blessed by receiving, by believing in Christ. This is how they receive the promise. So here's again what we're constantly doing as we work through Genesis or any other Old Testament book. Anything that was written before Christ came, just as Paul did, we have to read it in light of who Christ is, what he's come to do, what he accomplished, who he is, what his will is. We have to read these things, interpreting it through Christ. This is what Paul did. So then we look back at our passage in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What land is that? Well, that's the land that Christ was born in. And I will make of you a great nation. What nation? The nation that Christ was born into. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. What blessing? That a family in the world would be established that would be representing God in the world, his righteousness, his will, and that those people would have their hearts turned towards him to believe him, to trust him, to follow him by faith, and that through faith in God, they would be looking ahead to one who would fulfill the promise of God to make the nations glad, to bring joy, to bring salvation to the world. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when we read about all the families or all the nations of the earth being blessed because of what God began with Abram, there are some questions that have to come up logically in your mind, in your heart. This is a promise. So then we have to wonder, has it been fulfilled yet? Have all families, all nations been blessed because of what God began through Abram? Well, we would be tempted to look around and just take a quick glance and think, well, I mean, it's been thousands of years, even since Christ came and the gospel's been preached and the the church has been spread all over the world. So, I mean, it would make sense that All families of the earth have been blessed by now. But the truth of it is, all have not. All have not yet been blessed. All have not yet heard the good news and had even the opportunity to hear. Every nation, every family of the earth does not yet know Christ. Now, here's the next thing that has to happen. When you come to the realization that this 
has been partially fulfilled, but not completely fulfilled. It has, to, it has to stir up something in you. As you interpret this through Christ and you realize that it's not just Israel being known or being grafted in somehow by obedience to the law, but it's being grafted into the family, grafted into Abram, grafted into his family by faith, that it's through this that this hasn't happened. You have to think, if it's not completely fulfilled, then what needs to happen? What is God still doing? Is it still going to happen? Or is this promise still alive? Or has God just stopped this? And what does it have to do with me? If you are in Christ, you are Abram's child. You've received the promised spirit and you've received the blessing. In Abraham, you have been blessed if you know Christ. That makes you part of his family. That makes you one of the representatives of God in the world. Knowing him, following him, trusting him. If the people who have the blessing and who walk by faith are living out the calling of God, then the plan of God, the blessing of God, the promise of God will eventually be completely realized among every family of the world, among every nation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to pack your bags and, and figure out research, okay, what nation, what family, what people group doesn't yet know Christ and I'm going to be the personal representative to invite them to know Christ and be blessed. But it will definitely, without any question, without any doubt, say to you that you do have a part to play. You will be involved intentionally in Christ being exalted among every people, among every nation. It's why that map is on the wall in the back. It's why in a couple of weeks we're going to have a global mission Sunday. It's why we get on planes. It's, it's why we pray intentionally every time we come together that all the peoples of the world would come to know Christ, that the gospel would be preached without hindrance. It's why we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in restricted nations all over the world where it's illegal to worship Christ. It's why we pray for them to be delivered from their chains and set free into the streets to continue with boldness proclaiming the gospel so that those families of the earth who aren't yet blessed in Abram will be blessed. This is why we're still here. To live this way, pray this way, seek this way, give our money this way, our time this way, to worship this way. This is why we're still here, because this promise has not yet been completely fulfilled. But here we are, in the world, surrounded by nations, surrounded by families who are not yet blessed as members of the kingdom. We know, brothers and sisters, that when Christ died, he did not die just for the Jews. We know he died for the nations. We know when we flip back to the end of our Bibles and we see masses, multitudes of people, countless numbers of people gathered around the throne of God, worshiping holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, worthy of all honor and praise and glory and power. To you belongs the kingdom forever and ever. We know that it won't just be this people or that people or white people or European people. We know that there will be people from every nation, every family of the world gathered around that throne to worship our king, what are we doing? Let's play our part.
Let's follow in the footsteps of Father Abraham. Let's play our part. Let's worship so that Christ would be known among the nations. Let's give our money so that Christ would be known among the nations. Let's plan the rest of our lives. Not so that our 401ks would be filled to the brim and overflowing for our children. Let's plan our lives so that the nations would gather around the throne and exalt Jesus. The fulfillment the fulfillment of the promise to Abram. Now, in order to to continue to just see what does it look like to engage in the fulfillment of this promise, to have God speak to us and say, go, leave everything and go, because that's what he's saying to all of us. Leave your lives as you planned them and follow me. It's it's the call to every Christian person. What does it look like to faithfully follow out that call? Well, just look at chapter 12, verse 4 of Genesis. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. That is not a side note. Remember what he told him. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your family. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. But when God speaks to you and you know it was God, put yourself in that place. Any one of us, if we absolutely had certainty with no shadow of doubt that God was telling you, leave your country, leave your home, leave your family. Where do I go? Doesn't matter. Follow me. Leave. You know, you know that in the deepest place of your heart, as scared as you are up here on the surface, as uncertain you are that it's all going to work out and it's all going to be okay and that you're going to actually survive the call, you know in the deepest place that if you had certainty God had called you out, it would be an inescapable call. Inescapable. Even if you tried to get out from under it, you would find yourself unable to escape the call. It would hang over you either like the sun shining and giving its warmth or like a black cloud haunting you until you obey. It would be inescapable. And just as quickly as Abram went, I'm telling you, you're called. You're called, go, go, so that every family of the earth would know. Go, devote your life to this purpose. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, listen, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. All the people that they had acquired. That does not mean, as you might assume, that Abram was very wealthy, and so he must have had a lot of servants, a lot of slaves, or something like that. When you look into the Hebrew All the people that they had acquired is much more like disciples than it is slaves. It had people who had seen favor and had joined with him in being a part of his family. So when he went here, they went here. When he went there, they went there. So Abram must have had a moment where he said, look, God spoke to me and he said, go, and he's going to make a great nation out of this family. And in fact, every nation of the world is going to be blessed because of what God is going to do here through us now. Let's go. And they believed him. They believed him and they joined with him and they went, all of their possessions, everything that they owned, they went with him. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. 
At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, which is to just let you know it's hostile territory. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. Now he's not just speaking, he's actually appearing to him. And he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. He had no offspring. This was a promise based on nothing he could see with his eyes. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. He's following the call. He's worshiping God. He knows he's been set apart now. This is the devotion. This is the seriousness, the intentionality that we have to have. So, if I can just wrap it up this way, I, I know that this won't come across sounding like super spiritual. I know that this won't come across like super polished, like, man, that, that dude can preach. This is how this breaks down for me, for us. What kind of church are we? What kind of people are we? Are we people who know God has spoken to us and have the kind of certainty of that call that we're willing to drop everything and arrange our lives, arrange our lives around the purposes of God in the world. And whatever it costs us, we will gladly pay. And however much it hurts, will count as a sanctifying work of God. And however far it takes us and whatever part we play will be satisfied that we gave our whole heart to God knowing that we were part of a great plan that's about Him and not about us. Or are we going to be the kind of church that is satisfied to gather on a weekly basis and occupy seats and follow traditions and build up our retirement funds and fix our houses and have some friends and avoid some enemies and just try to be buried with some nice things written on our headstones. What kind of church are we going to be? Here's the crazy thing. When you sign up to be the kind of church that is completely abandoned to the purposes of God, one of two things will happen. You'll either be built up as a monument for God's glory and, and built up in your sending capacity so that people are coming to you, being equipped and being sent out, or God will just disperse all of you to far off places so that everywhere Jesus isn't known, he can be heard of and known. So listen, the Lord might shut this thing down because all of us follow a call from him to go where Jesus isn't named yet. And we would be glad for him to do so, amen? That one local gathering would cease to exist because people signed up their lives to make Christ known among the nations. Praise God. That's not canceling church, that's expanding church. Or God may build this thing up, send some of us, make some of us rich for his glory so that we can fund missionaries all over the world, church planters. Some of us may just serve on teams. Listen, it is entirely possible in my mind that whole groups of families could sign up to go to dark places where they know they're going to suffer for Christ. Whole groups of families. That's not outlandish. That's not a wild vision. That's perfectly biblical. We're just in the beginning here of the story of God establishing his family in the world and ramping things up towards Christ coming, towards Christ dying, raising from the dead, expanding the kingdom to the Gentiles so that we would be sitting in this room right now. We're just in the very beginning, but don't miss the roots of the kingdom of God. Starting in an unlikely place with an unlikely person 
who received a call and submitted his life to seeing these promises fulfilled. And it is about, without any question, the Lord Jesus being magnified among the nations. This is what it's all about. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.